go, yes, we roll. Take 360 degrees. High, high, 360 degrees. High, high, 306. 306. 360 degrees. High, 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 high. Round and round. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This show is written, produced, and engineered in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known as the East Bay Area. Stay with us tonight as we bring you the musical stylings of Bay Area jazz artists Marcus Shelby and the Marcus Shelby Orchestra along with sounds from voices that change the world, an audio collection of some of the most revolutionary, progressive, and thought-provoking people we have featured on KPFA and the Pacifica Network. On tonight's show, we'll feature the music of Marcus Shelby and discuss the influence of civil rights in his work. We'll also hear voices from the civil rights heroes and sheroes from the collection, The Voices That Change the World. And finally... We will be asking for your support for KPFA and, of course, the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. All that tonight on Full Circle. We are your host. I'm Free Will and Franklin. And this is Stevie G. Stay with us. Greetings. And welcome again to Full Circle. Tonight, we, the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program, are doing our part to help raise funds to keep this iconic station on the air. And we have great audio for you in the form of music and storytelling. And just a reminder that we are wrapping up our second week of our spring fun drive. And our gifts to you tonight are the Voices That Changed the World USB Jump Drive, and this is a comprehensive collection of audio from the Pacifica Archives. On there, you will find the voices of Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, Fannie Lou Hamer, and Martin Luther King Jr., among others. You get classic audiobooks like George Orwell's 1984, Tolstoy's War and Peace. You get Women's Her Story with the voices of Alice Walker, Angela Davis, Lily Tomlin, and again, Fannie Lou Hamer, and many, many more. The Voices That Changed the World USB can be yours for a donation of $200. And this is the biggest collection of sound for the price. You get over 1,300 hours of audio. We are also offering the audio CD of the music of the Marcus Shelby Orchestra. Marcus is a Bay Area artist specializing on the bass, but is also a great composer. We only have seven of the CDs, Soul of the Movement by Marcus Shelby. That CD could be yours for a donation of $50, but like I said, we only have seven CDs tonight. Um, well, let's get into our first track. Uh, the first track we will hear is a selection from a series called From the Vault, a Pacifica production, a Pacifica Foundation production utilizing the Pacifica archives to bring the sound from the vault and bring it back to our ears to remember our history. Let's take a listen. <laughs> This is From the Vault, the Pacifica Radio Archive's weekly program that brings our history out of the vault and onto the radio. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer. 
This week from the vault continues its celebration of Black History Month. With a continuation of last week's program, we shall overcome the history of the civil rights movement as it happened. This is the title of Herb Boyd's book published by Sourcebooks in 2004, narrated by Ossie Davis and Ruby D. Today you will hear several historic programs from the Pacifica Radio archives that were used in creating this audio tour through the civil rights movement era. This is a prime example of how the recordings preserved by the Pacifica Radio Archives Preservation and Access Project find new lives and are heard by new audiences. We shall overcome. The mere phrase contains more power than any three words have a right to, evoking both the depths of the struggle and the length of perseverance. These words of inspiration and promise, we shall overcome, became the unofficial slogan of the civil rights movement. I'm Ossie Davis. I'm Ruby Dee. In the pages of the book by Herb Boyd and on these compact discs, We Shall Overcome is a tour through the words and voices of the civil rights movement. From the stirring speeches to the voices of hate, this collection brings to life the battle for justice and equality that shook America to its core. Relive a small part of the struggle with us and imagine what it was like to have lived during those times. The civil rights movement had countless martyrs but few would become as nationally known and cherished as Medgar Evers. He fought for equality in education and organized efforts to register voters. In the years that followed his assassination, Evers' name would echo across the Washington Mall, be chanted by protesting groups, large and small, and become immortalized in song by singers both black and white, including a young folk singer from the North named Bob Dylan. Mr. Medgar Evers from Jackson, he's the state field secretary for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Mr. Medgar Evers. Thank you very much, Mr. Magdu. Ladies and gentlemen, it's very good to see the number of persons out here tonight that are. And certainly this indicates that we are ready for freedom and we're ready to march for it. I just want to say to you here tonight that the reason I'm up here is because you've given us inspiration in Jackson. And we're going to go back to Jackson, South Mississippi, and all over Mississippi and fight for freedom as you're fighting for it here in Greenwood. All we want you to do is keep going with this fight for freedom. And as we stick together here, as you feel the pains of dogs here in Greenwood, We'll feel them in Jackson. And we feel them in Jackson, you feel them here. And when we get this unity, ladies and gentlemen, nothing can stop us. We're going to win this fight for freedom. Thank you very much. A family man, Evers endured years of threats for his activism as field secretary in charge of the Mississippi NAACP. Returning home late at night in June of 1963, a sniper's bullet took Medgar Evers' life. His wife, Merle, later spoke about the rage she felt and how the words of her children kept Medgar's spirit alive. One day, 
My daughter overheard me speaking to some friends who were at my home. And she ran up to me and she pulled on my dress and she said, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. She said, you shouldn't say that. Daddy said we shouldn't hate. I instantly thought of what Medgar had told me when we discussed rage. And he said, Merle, don't allow yourself to drop to the level of those who hate you. You're the only one who will suffer as a result of it. Those that you hate, most of them don't know it. Those who do could care less. So you end up being the one who, who's the injured party. Let it go. It would take more than 30 years for Evers Killer to be convicted. But as Medgar himself was fond of saying, you can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. Few of Selma, Alabama's eligible blacks were registered to vote. Following the signing of the Civil Rights Bill, it became a testing ground for whether they would be allowed to register and vote without intimidation. Martin Luther King took it up as a personal cause, putting the small city in the national spotlight. Today I want to tell the city itself, tell them nothing. Today I want to say to the state of Alabama, yes sir, they I want to say to the people of America and the nations of the world that we are not about to turn around. Yes, sir. We are on the move now. Yes, sir. King was quickly jailed for leading marches, a tactic Selma officials thought would quell protests. Instead, they had to deal with overflowing jail cells as they were forced to jail hundreds, including children. When the arrests proved ineffective, police resorted to beatings, clubbings, and other savage attacks. Just a quick interruption to remind you that first, you are listening to Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA Radio. And tonight, we are ending the second week of our spring fun drive. The sound we are hearing is from the vault, from the Pacifica Radio Archives. This episode is We Shall Overcome. A couple of the voices you were just hearing were that of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Medgar Evans. It is also narrated by Ruby D. and Ozzie Davis. I want to give uh, the number out one time real quick here. 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA or online at kpfa.org. Give us a call or give us a click and get yourself the USB drive with over 1,300 hours of audio, um, including that which we were just listening to. The number again, 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA or online at kpfa.org. Give us a call. Give us a click. Now, let's get back to We Shall Overcome from the Pacifica Radio Archives. During the funeral procession for Jimmy Lee Jackson, one of the victims, Reverend James Bevel suggested that the body be taken to the Capitol in Montgomery, 54 miles away. That became the genesis of a march. On Sunday, March 7th, some 500 people gathered and began the trek. When they reached the Edmund Pettus Bridge at the Alabama River... They were gassed and beaten. John Lewis, leading the marches that day, suffered contusions and a fractured skull. 
Dr. King, who was not present at that march, rallied demonstrators to try again two days later. There may be some tear gas ahead. Yeah. I say to you this afternoon that I would rather die on the highways of Alabama than make a butchery of my conscience. Yes, sir. Mark, don't panic and remember that we must remain true to nonviolence. I'm asking everybody in the line. If you can't be nonviolent, don't get in it. If you can't accept blows without retaliating, don't get in the line. This time, there was no major altercation. But after crossing the bridge, the marches were nonetheless turned back by police. Finally, a week and a half later, a court order allowed marchers to proceed to Montgomery. Their efforts had further exposed the South's dark side and helped spur the passage and signing of 1965's Voting Rights Act, suspending literacy tests and providing for federal examiners in local jurisdictions. President John F. Kennedy sent his civil rights bill to Congress on June 19, 1963 just one week after NAACP leader Medgar Evers was assassinated in Mississippi. The bill itself opened public accommodations to all Americans, put the Attorney General in charge of integrating the nation's schools, and gave the federal government power to eliminate federal funds for programs not in compliance. Soon after, black leaders hoped the March on Washington would pressure Congress to pass the bill. Kennedy himself was concerned that congressional leaders wouldn't vote for the bill, as he said, at the point of a gun. But it was a different gun that would change the bill's course, the one that fired the fatal shot in Kennedy's assassination on November 22, 1963. And pressure was delivered with surprising priority when new President Lyndon Johnson, in his first speech to Congress after the assassination, tied passage of the Civil Rights Bill to the legacy of the slain president. No memorial oration or eulogy could more eloquently honor President Kennedy's memory than the earliest possible passage of the Civil Rights Bill for which he fought so long. We have talked long enough in this country about equal rights. We have talked for a hundred years or more. It is time now to write the next chapter and to write it in the books of law. I urge you again, as I did in 1957, and again in 1960, to enact a civil rights law so that we can move forward to eliminate from this nation every trace of discrimination and oppression that is based upon race or color. It would take until July of 1964 before Johnson could sign the bill into law. Before signing, he explained the disparity that made the bill necessary. 
We believe that all men are created equal, yet many are denied equal treatment. We believe that all men have certain unalienable rights, yet many Americans do not enjoy those rights. We believe that all men are entitled to the blessings of liberty, yet millions are being deprived of those blessings, not because of their own failures, but because of the color of their skin. The reasons are deeply embedded in history and tradition and the nature of man. We can understand without rancor or hatred how this all happened, but it cannot continue. Our Constitution, the foundation of our Republic, forbids it. The principles of our freedom forbid it. Morality forbids it. And the law I will sign tonight forbids it. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM KPFA in occupied Huchin, also known as Berkeley, California. The voices you just heard in part two were that of Martin Luther King Jr., President Lyndon B. Johnson after the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. They came from the KPFA and Pacifica Networks, Voices That Changed the World USB Drive, which is packed with over 1,300 hours of those voices, Voices That Changed the World. That audio is from a series called From the Vault and featured the documentary We Shall Overcome, narrated by Ozzie Davis and Ruby D. This particular documentary is from the civil rights portion of the collection. That's right, and this incredible collection can be yours by clicking on the donate tab of kpfa.org or by calling our toll-free number 1-800-439-439. 5732. And to remember that, it is 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Give us a call right now and get yourself a copy of this amazing audio collection. Also, the accompanying music we were just hearing is by Bay Area artist Marcus Shelby and the Marcus Shelby Orchestra. Marcus gets much of his influence for this particular music project from the civil rights movements and leaders like those featured on the USB Voices That Changed the World. You can get that CD, Soul of the Movement, Meditations on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for a donation of $50, but we only have seven of them. 
Um, both of these items are our gifts to you tonight if you choose to donate to KPFA. We have the CD, $50, which is the soul of the movement, Meditations on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. by the Marcus Shelby Orchestra. We also have what has become the most valuable player, if you will, and that is the Voices That Changed the World USB Jump Drive. That can be yours for a donation of $200, or you could get them both for a donation of $225. But don't forget, we are limited to only seven of the CDs, so first come, first serve in that sense. As we know, words have the power to create profound healing, empathy, action, even revolution or incredible suffering. It is important for us here at KPFA and Pacifico Radio to share voices that create understanding, encourage dialogue, and help to facilitate peace. In fact, our mission statement reads in part, to engage in any activity that shall contribute to a lasting understanding between nations and between the individuals of all nations, races, creeds, and colors to gather and disseminate information on the causes of conflict between any and all of such groups. If you can support KPFA and the Pacific Commission, please make a donation tonight at this time. Also, when you donate during the hour of Full Circle, you not only show your support for KPFA, but also for the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, KPFA's premier broadcasting training program that has been bringing women and people of color into KPFA and into the broadcasting profession for around 33 years now. Last time for the number real quick before we get back to our program, give us a click at kpfa.org or give us a call 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Thanks to everyone on the line at this time and all that have called and clicked Let's now get back to a short clip of the Voices That Changed the World collection. In this next clip, we will hear about Fannie Lou Hamer. She was a sharecropper that wanted the power to vote, but was unable to do so due to the laws at the time. When she learned that it was legal for her to vote, she tried, but she couldn't pass a literacy test. She was then tutored by students from the Student Nonviolent Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, known as SNCC. She eventually passed that test, but was still unable to vote due to a poll tax. She later responded to the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Sharecropper Fannie Lou Hamer was among the original members of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. And in a national broadcast, she testified before the convention's credentials committee. She passionately told her own story, including the brutal beating she'd received for her registration efforts. At the end of her speech, she questioned her country's professed ideals. All of this is on account of we want to register, to become first-class citizens. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to seat? with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America. Thank you. Along with the rest of the nation, Senator James Eastland, a staunch segregationist from the Mississippi Delta, heard Hamer's speech, which he discussed with President Johnson. 
Negro woman in Rue Rulich been to Washington and testified that she was shot at 19 times is lying. Of course, if anybody gets shot at 19 times, it's going to get hit. And she hadn't been shot at a time, and nobody's tried to, to bother her. They let her sit in on the Democratic, in the Democratic County Convention this morning. Although Eastland was unmoved, many others were emotionally affected as Hamer herself found. That's what I'm talking about. Got to get the funk up in that mother. We are winner and never let Welcome back to Full Circle, right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. We are listening to audio archives from The Vault, a Pacifica Radio archive series. This episode, We Shall Overcome, and beneath our voices right now, we are listening to the sounds of Marcus Shelby. And his music, inspired by the Civil Rights Movement, the CD is called Soul of the Movement. Meditations on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we just heard from the voice of Fannie Lou Hamer as she, de- as she described her experiences dealing with political officials in her work registering black people to vote. This is history we need to remember. We are still dealing with obstacles in voting to this day, folks. That's true. Uh, we have the gutting of the Civil Rights Act, specifically Section 5. This 1965 law required that lawmakers in states with a history of discriminating against minority voters get federal permission before changing voting rules. Now, since 2013, the Supreme Court has invalidated this requirement. And immediately, many of the notorious states enacted tougher voting laws. So you can see we are still up against it, folks, still fighting to have everyone's voices heard. This is why it's very important to take the step to donate to this Pacifica radio station, KPFA. This station is the flagship station of the Pacifica Network. Not only are we keeping people aware of the past, we are keeping information flowing on related news from today. The number to call is 1-800-439-5732. Again, that is 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Give us a call and help us reach our goal for our show tonight, which is $1,000. If you would like to donate online, go to kpfa.org. Get yourself a USB jump drive with all the audio we just heard. That was just a short clip of a two-part documentary called We Shall Overcome, narrated by that fabulous couple Ruby D and Ozzie Davis. Again, the entire 1,300-hour collection of audio can be yours by making a $200 do- donation to this listener-supported radio station. Or if you like the music you have been hearing this evening, get yourself one of the copies of Marcus Shelby's CD, Soul of the Movement. S- excuse me, Soul of the, Mu- of the Movement. <laughs> <laughs> I got to clear that up there. Soul of the Movement, meditations on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that can be yours for a donation of $50. Yes, Steve, yes. If you would like both, you can get both the Marcus Shelby CD and the Voices That Changed the World Jump Drive for a donation of $225. And that is a $25 break. We're going to move on now and get back ready for our next clip. 
In the summer of 1964, known as Freedom Summer, volunteers fanned out across southern states to register voters and also document church burnings. In an infamous case of murder and deception, three of those civil rights workers were murdered. Let's listen to some archival footage of that event. 1,000 northern white students descended on Mississippi to aid voter registration efforts. It would come to be known as Freedom Summer. It was a bold plan, and SNCC leaders dreamed it would garner national attention. Mississippi Klan and White Citizens Council made sure that it did. On June 21, 1964, three civil rights workers, two white and one black, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner, and James Cheney, turned up missing after investigating the burning of a church. With the media on high alert, President Johnson was kept apprised of the situation. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover reported in after the worker's charred car was discovered. Uh, Mr. President, yeah. uh, I wanted to let you know we have found the car. Yeah. Now, this is not known, nobody knows this at all, but the car was burned and uh, we do not know yet whether any bodies are inside of the car because of the intense heat that uh, still is in the area of the car. The license plate on the car are the same that was on the car that was in uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi yesterday. And apparently, this is off to the side of the road. It wasn't t going toward Meridian, but it's going in the opposite direction. Now, whether there anybody's in the car, we won't know until we can get into the car ourselves. We've got agents, of course, on the ground, and as soon as we get definite word, I'll, of course, get word to you. But I did want you to know that apparently what's happened, these men have been killed. Although, as I say, we can't tell whether anybody's in there in view of the intense heat. Well, now, what would make you think they've been killed? Because of the fact that it, it, it is the same car that they were in in Philadelphia, Mississippi. And the same license number is on the outside of the car. Now, as I say, the heat is so intense you can't tell on the inside that everything's been burned, whether there are any charred bodies or not. It is merely an assumption that probably they were burned in the car. On the other hand, they may have been taken out and killed on the outside. Or maybe kidnapped and locked up. How's that? Or maybe kidnapped and locked up. Well, I would doubt whether those people down there would, uh, would even give them that much of a break. But, of course, we're going to go into that very thoroughly. Not only as to the fact as to whether they're still alive, if they're, not, if they're not in the car, then they may have been killed and their bodies buried in one of those swamps down there. President Johnson was among those who communicated with the workers' families. Miss Warner? Uh, are you the mother of the... Of uh, Michael. Yes. Uh, we have uh, received a word from Mr. Hoover that uh, the investigation in the car indicates that uh, there were uh, no people in the car and uh, it's very likely that none of them were burned as could have been possible under the early information. And uh, I have talked to the governor there and he is making all the facilities of the state available in the search and uh, they've seen some tracks leaving the car. Yes. And... Uh, 
uh, they're going to try to continue. We're flying people in from the FBI tonight, and I just wanted you to uh, know that, and that was a little hope that we didn't have earlier, and I thought that we would enjoy it as long as we could. Thank you so much, President Johnson. I appreciate this. Thank you very much. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Bye. Unable to find any bodies, Mississippi officials deemed the incident fraud. Senator James Eastland had already advised President Johnson that it was all a publicity stunt. Jim, we got three kids missing down there. What can I do about it? Well, I don't know. I don't believe this. I don't believe there's three missing. We got their parents down here. I believe it's a publicity stunt. Now, I'm going to tell you why I don't think there's a damn thing to it. They were in, put in jail in Philadelphia, in East Mississippi, right next to county, right next to John Stennis' home county. And they were going to uh, Meridian. There's not a Ku Klux Klan in that area. There's not a citizen's council in that area. There's no organized white man in that area. So that's why I think it's a publicity stunt. Now, if it had happened in other areas, uh, I would uh, pay more attention to it. But I, I happen to know that uh, some of these bombings where nobody gets hurt, uh, uh, publicity stunts. Mississippi Governor Paul Johnson bemoaned the involvement of federal authorities and the president's use of military personnel to aid the search. President Johnson has ordered 200 Marines and eight helicopters to join in the search for three civil rights workers missing in Mississippi. Their presence here is indeed a surprise to me. But on August 4th, the massive search efforts finally yielded a breakthrough as the bodies of Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney were found buried in an earthen dam. In 1967, three years after the disappearance of the three workers, Seven defendants were convicted of conspiracy, but none faced charges for the real crime, that of murder. Welcome back to KPFA 94.1 FM. This is the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, and Full Circle is our weekly show right here on 94.1 FM KPFA or online at kpfa.org every Friday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And that sound you just heard was again from the Voices That Changed the World audio collection. And what we were just listening to was archival audio reports about the 1964 civil rights workers who were murdered while documenting church burnings and working to register voters during Freedom Summer. We as a nation have elections coming up in June and November 2018 and a soon presidential election in 2020. And people may choose to participate or not in a system that is oppressive, a system that is a part of that history that you just heard. And whether you do or not, it's your choice and responsibility. 
and you make that choice with valid information, like you get here on KPFA. That's right, Steve. And to keep that information flowing, we need to participate in the support of this station. If you can donate and get yourself a USB jump drive with all the audio we just heard, and that was just a short clip of a two-part documentary called We Shall Overcome, narrated by Ruby D and Ozzy Davis, please donate now and get yourself that copy. Again, the entire 1,300-hour collection of audio can be yours by making a donation of $200 to this listener-sponsored radio station. The number to call is 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Give us a call and help us reach our goal tonight, a $1,000 goal. If you'd like to donate online, go to kpfa.org. If you can't afford $200 but still want to make a contribution, perhaps you would like to pick up the Soul of the Movement CD. That is for a donation of $50. We're hearing that right now. Bring that up, please. The music. There it is. All right. All right. This is the music of Bay Area artist Marcus Shelby. The CD is Soul of the Movement, Meditations on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Let's hear it again. All right, that great music. Again, if you can donate and get yourself a copy of the USB jump drive with all the audio we just heard, plus the entire 1,300-hour collection. The number to call is 1-800-439-5732, or like we've been saying, 1-800-HEY-KPFA. And of course, don't forget, kpfa.org. And as Steve said, if you can't afford that $200 but still want to make a contribution, perhaps you'd like to pick up the Soul of the Movement CD, Meditations on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. by Bay Area musician and composer Marcus Shelby. That is for a donation of $50, and you're hearing that under our voice right now. Again, 1-800-439-5732 or 1-800-HEY-KPFA and kpfa.org. Let's get back to the voices that changed the world collection. Earlier we heard what had happened to three young men during Freedom Summer, the summer of 1964. What we want to share in this final clip is two of the great thinkers and speakers from the civil rights era. Two that traveled different roads, but were both in the midst of the civil rights movements of the 50s and 60s. We're speaking now on, on both Malcolm X and James Baldwin. Here they are in conversation discussing the effectiveness of the sit-in movement. This was a time of Malcolm X prior to his break from the Nation of Islam. And James Baldwin was again the inquisitive, bold visionary of an American dream for every citizen of the United States of America. Here is a snippet of conversation and contemplation that echoes even into our present day scenario, where fear can be a stifling and limiting factor on the greatness of America, much more so than a perceived litmus test on being strong or patriotic. Until the black man here in America is willing to do and ready to do the same thing 
that Patrick Henry did to make this country what it was for white people, Patrick Henry, and there's another point. Here the white man takes as his hero, George Washington. He was a warrior. He was a general. He fought a war. Uh, they take as their hero, Patrick Henry. These are men who fight, who fought, who were willing to lay down their life and die for the freedom that they knew was theirs by birth. But the, uh, uh, these are the heroes of whites. But when a black man in America begins to talk the same kind of talk that Patrick Henry has gone down in history as being famous for, this man is considered as something that shouldn't be allowed to talk. And I think that it's time, as uh, Mr. Baldwin said in a, in a sense of... Uh, tossing aside the hypocrisy and looking at the facts the way they are and uh, not trying to be diplomatic or not trying to be nice but deal with that problem the way it is and when you feel when you realize that the black man here in America today is just not uh, ready uh, to continue waiting for the white man to make up his mind that he should be a human that he's a human being too uh, otherwise you're going to have trouble then the problem can be solved if you have a slave and you got his foot your foot on his neck as long as that, and someone comes along and tells that slave that uh, he's a man too. Well, naturally, the slave is not going to wait for you to take your foot uh, from his head. If he's a man and you're a man, he can remove your foot uh, from his head. But the thing is this, as long as that slave is willing for the master to uh, change his attitude toward him, there's no violence. But when that master is not uh, uh, ready to cease immediately, if that slave really considers himself a man, he's going to stop the master from treating him wrong. He's not going to wait for the master to stop. He will stop him himself. And I think that this is the thing that the white people of America should realize. And I think that uh, this is the type of man that you're dealing with here in America today. They don't like to face it, but this is the type of man. That doesn't mean he's an advocator of violence. He wants freedom. He wants justice. He wants equality. He doesn't want it 100 years from now. If the white man has it right now, the black man should. If the white man has it today, the black man should have it today. And if, and if the white man got it by, by being willing to die for it, then the black man will not get it until he, too, is also willing to die for it. What is the issue here? Malcolm X wants us to act like men, and it seems to me... One of the things that I object to here, I don't think that the fact that white people have done what they have done, um, Patrick Henry is not one of my heroes. I'm sorry. Most of the American heroes have never been in my Hall of Fame. I don't see any reason for me, at this late date, to begin modeling myself on an image which I've always found, frankly, to be <laughs> mediocre and not a standard to which I myself could repair. I don't think that black men now should be, because white men have committed these crimes, that black men should then, should do the same thing. I think that there is something absolutely insidious, even, even if I cannot make this absolutely clear, there's something, to my mind, always terribly insidious in the whole question of race. The white man's racial characteristics, of which the white man claims to be so proud, have reduced him in this country to some, to, to incredible levels. The New Orleans mothers, who are so proud of their racial characteristics, are blaspheming these characteristics and have lost whatever was honorable in them because of the, because of the, they mean, the means they use to defend them. There is nobody in the world, I think, sadder than a, a white man in the deep south who only has his skin and his blue eyes and his yellow hair and nothing else. I don't think that I want to go through the world and I will not encourage my nephew to begin to go through the world only armed with his the color of his skin the only thing that really arms anybody when the chips are down is how closely how thoroughly he can relate to himself and deal with the world yes as a man 
you know. But I don't think, I think when I talk about standards, I say they all got to be revised. It's one of the standards that have to be revised. I don't think that a warrior is necessarily a man. And in fact, it has been proven that football players and all these people in teams and in armies are not men. It is very difficult to be a man. And what it, what it, what it involves for me, anyway, is an ability to look at the world, to look at whatever it is, and to say what it is and to deal with it, to face it, even if it does mean laying down your life, because in a way it always does mean that. But I don't want... This is all, this is probably the only reason I'm here this afternoon. What I would not like to see, I would not like to see this thousand-year nightmare begin all over again with a shoe on the other foot. In a way, this is personal. This is personal. But I had to understand for my own survival, that the things that had been done to me when I was a child, and the things that had been done to my ancestors, I was now responsible for all these things. It was too bad that my father beat me, you know, and too bad, you know, and absolutely unforgivable and forgettable that so many, that the history has been so awful, but it is now when you become a man, your responsibility to deal with it. I cannot undo it by repeating it. I cannot undo it by I cannot hate you or your child because of what has been done to me. What has been done to me is now my responsibility and it's up to me to deal with it and to become whatever I can become out of it because you don't escape it. You don't escape it. It seems to me that we have here in America, the Negro in this country is the only hope this country has. If anyone in the country has any sense of what freedom is Negroes do I don't believe I really don't at the bottom of my heart believe that the country does any longer I don't think that the people who are sitting now in Washington the people who are responsible for our conduct in the world really believe in the things they say they believe if they did they would not be so panic-stricken and they would not give our enemies that is the nation's enemies the capital they give them the panic caused by what we call the Cold War and the cult in this country of ignorance has made it impossible, for example, very nearly impossible for a respectable anti-communist to say a word. I know what a communist is. I would know one if one bit me. Now, it is perfectly conceivable to me, this may sound very far-fetched, that what the white people are doing on this continent, because this is a continent, including Canada, America, and all the rest of Latin America, is simply isolating themselves out of a world which is no longer white and where, the, and where power is no longer in white hands. I'm concerned, really, about what is going to happen tomorrow when I will not any longer have a white man to blame. It seems to me that my responsibility, at least as a writer, is to begin to prepare for this day, because this day is coming. It will come peacefully, or it will come with blood. And this has nothing to do with Malcolm X's position or Mr. McCumming's position or mine or yours. It is absolutely on the road. Nothing can stop it. All we can do is prepare for it. And people who do not, people who do not know how to prepare for it always perish. Welcome back to Full Circle here at the mothership load of KPFA, right here in occupied Huchin, also known as Berkeley. That music you have been hearing during the breaks and under our voices is that of Marcus Shelby and the Marcus Shelby Orchestra. He is a Bay Area musician and composer. 
He has performed with greats from around the Bay, such as Faye Carroll and even Jazz Sawyer, who as many hardcore KPFA heads will know as the talented drummer from the Oakland and Berkeley area and as the son of Lewis Sawyer. Lewis was not only a longtime programmer here on these very airways, but Lewis was also a graduate of the first voice apprenticeship program who recently transitioned home. And just before, I want to take a moment to um, tell you about uh, my work here at KPFA. We want to give a couple of shout outs and a couple of thank yous. Um, a big thank you to Lee in Salcedo. Thank you for your donation. Roberta Marati from Antioch. My mom. Thank you, mom. And we also have a very generous donation from San Francisco. Thank you very much. And also a great donation from Fresno. We really appreciate it. Um, I want to take a moment just to remind you what being a part of the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program can do for people. I myself am a graduate of the program. I graduated back in 2007, and I've been here at KPFA ever since. Um, since compiling the program, or since completing the program, I have done many things here at KPFA. I have sat in as a host on the Sunday show, um, also the talkies when they're on Saturdays. I have aired stories on the weekend news, the news headlines in the morning lineup, Hard Knock Radio, Flashpoints, Apex Express, even La Onda Bajita. I have worked on broadcasts like the annual Radio Free Alcatraz every Indigenous People's Day and Thanksgiving. I help produce video streams like video streams and broadcasts like Block the Boat, the March for Real Climate Leadership, the Iraq Veterans Against the War Roundtable Discussion of War and Peace a live fundraiser. Oh, I also produced a live fundraiser punk show from the Gilman. Um, I help facilitate broadcasts from the Occupy Oakland encampments. And I personally, myself, wrangled Michael Moore to an interview with Davey D live on the air from Oscar Grant Plaza. How did I learn to do all this and bring it to the KPFA, KPFA airwaves? Through the training I received as part of the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program. That's how. Please, if you can, show your support for this gem of a program and this radio station that helps make it possible. The number to call, 1-800-439-5732. Again, that's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Give us a call and help us reach our goal. We're getting really close. If you'd like to donate, give us a call right now, 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Or also, you can go online and donate at kpfa.org. You can get yourself a USB jump drive with all the stories and interviews we have heard tonight. Again, the entire 1,300-hour collection of audio can be yours by making a donation of $200 to this listener-sponsored radio station. Or, if you like the music you've been hearing and are hearing right now under my voice, let's get that up a little bit, Aria. Let's hear that music. Let's hear that music. Oh, yeah. That's the music of Marcus Shelby and the Marcus Shelby Orchestra. He is a local artist and composer. You can get his CD, Soul of the Movement, Meditations on Dr. Martin Luther King for a donation of $50. You can get the Voices That Changed the World CD, uh, Jump Drive for $200, the Marcus Shelby for $50, or you can get them both for $225. 
Uh, my co-host here, Stevie G. What's up, Steve? Hey, hey, hey. He is also uh, one of the newest members of the apprenticeship program. He's been here for about a year. And as you see tonight, Steve is on the air. Um, Steve is actually the one that put all this sound together tonight. Big hand to Steve for putting all that sound together. Group 43, um, dry long, so rising. We're that's rising. Right. Um, he listened to the sound, picked out the uh, clips he thought were important, and he chose the music. Steve, just tell us a little bit of the reasons why you picked the clips and the music tonight. Uh, just sort of reminiscing and listening through the archives, um, I uh, picked up on, uh, you know, during the 60s, there, there, was, there was a lot of uh, pain. You had uh, what happened with Medgar Evers. You had what happened with uh, Malcolm X. You had what happened with Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, again, in 64, you had what happened to the civil rights workers. And then you also had, uh, in 63, you had the assassination of John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy. And then uh, at the end of that, in 68, very soon after what happened to Martin Luther King Jr., you had what happened to Robert Kennedy. And so all of that... Uh, you know, as I was listening through the archives and picking out some pieces, I just wanted to make sure that we could weave a tale that spoke to that time in the civil rights and how important that struggle has been and how important voting is and all those struggles and sacrifices that people have made consistently, black and white, for us to get to where we are today and where we want to go tomorrow and moving forward. And all this sound that we have played tonight seems so relevant today with uh, the rise of new voter restrictions or voter ID laws, as they like to call them, with the rise of uh, white nationalists and white supremacist groups. These audio archives are a stark reminder of what we've been through. And some would argue what we're going through at this time in our history. Give us a call. Get yourself a copy of this USB jump drive, Voices That Change the World, for $200. You'll be doing a tremendous service to this station and to this program within the station, the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Here is the number, 1-800-439-5732. That's also 1-800-HEY-KPFA. If you'd like to listen online or use online uh, a lot, you can go to kpfa.org. You can get the music you're hearing. Aria, let's get that music one more time. Check this out. Yeah. That right there is the, bu- the <laughs> That right there is the music of Marcus Shelby, local artist, musician, composer, Marcus Shelby and the Marcus Shelby Orchestra. Give us a call right here, 1-800-439-5732. Pick up that CD of Marcus Shelby, Soul of the Movement. That's the title of that CD, Meditations on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This music was inspired by the sounds that we're playing tonight. The number, 1-800-439-5732, 1-800-HEY-KPFA, or online at kpfa.org. Um, Steve, tell us a little bit more about, you know, why Fannie Lou, why um, Malcolm X? Why did you pick these clips? Well, again, I wanted to uh, really speak about the story of civil rights in America. Uh, this is the story of all Americans. Uh, what personally resume, resonates with me, uh, obviously, are the travails of African Americans uh, and all those that are marginalized on this continent. And while there's been opposition, there's also been some collaborations and some camaraderie. Uh, uh, camaraderie. 
uh, we've had a lot of white folk that have been involved with those movements. Again, we had that summer of 64. We had a lot of the civil rights workers and black and white were together in that struggle. Uh, and, all na and, and, and all peoples of color across the nation worked collectively to try to move this nation forward to a new heights. And it was led by students. It was led by the youth as we have like a Black, a black Lives Matters today. So we want to make sure that we're recognizing that energy of youth uh, infusing the current generation looking towards the future and a better America, a better tomorrow. Not looking towards the past, as in making what was great in the past great. It's looking towards the present and future, and where do we go from here? So true, Steve, so true. We're coming down to our last couple minutes. We're a little bit short of our goal. If you have been holding out and would like to make a donation, oh, I see another donation from Antioch. Could that be someone I know? Y'all know I'm from Antioch right here. Uh, Free Will and Franklin hails from the A-Town. Um, give us a call. This is uh, your chance to donate to support a great station, but also to support a great program, and that is the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program, bringing in women, people of color, for over 33 years now. Thirty. How many years was it? 33? 33 years and counting. 33 years. Steve is a part of Group 43, Dry Long So Rising. I myself was a part of Group 29, Asali Amanasar Tujang, which meant sweet sunrise in the struggle. Give us a call right now. Help out KPFA. Help out the apprenticeship program. I'm going to give out the number again. We're getting so close to our goal. I want to make it so bad. If you can do it, now's your chance. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-HEY-KPFA. If you're online, kpfa.org. Give us a call. Give us a click. Help us reach that goal. We still have, let's see, about one minute. This is your last chance. I'll give out the number one more time. 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA or online at kpfa.org. $200 gets you to Voices That Change the World. $50 will get you the CD Marcus Shelby Orchestra. Take it away, Steve. All right. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Tune in next week to Full Circle to sounds from the Community Resource Fair that was held in Antioch at the end of April. And you can hear who was awarded the latest Community Hero Award. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our, our technical director is Frank Sterling. Woohoo! Joy Moore is our production consultant. We have been your host this evening, Free, Free Will and Franklin. That's me. And Stevie G. That's me. Thanks to fellow apprentices, Aria on the board. Our tech assistants are from our newest apprentice group, 43, Dry Long So Rising. And Sharon, our tech assistant.